This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The recent uh, IPO uh, that brought uh, the consumer health business of Johnson & Johnson under a new umbrella called Kenview. It was the biggest on Wall Street since Rivian's in November of 2021. It valued the spinoff Kenview at $42 billion with shares marketed at between $20 and $23 per share. How good of a move was this by J&J? David Shu is a management professor here at the Wharton School. David, great to talk to you again. How have you been? Good. Thanks, Dan. Great to have you with us. All right. So give us your thoughts on this move by uh, J&J on the spinoff and uh, the value at which uh, all of these different consumer brands have uh, under this Kenview umbrella. Yeah, so I think J&J is really following uh, this really unmistakable, unmistakable trend in the uh, healthcare business to really spin off consumer health businesses because it's kind of different from the pharmaceutical and medical device business that uh, J&J and other pharma companies have. And so you really see this move not only by J&J spinning off Kenview, but that really follows companies like GSK, who together with uh, Novartis and Pfizer spun off a company called Halion, really on consumer health, um, as well as others, uh, Sanofi and others, really uh, doing the same thing. And so I think this recognition that these consumer-oriented brands, which are, you know, think Listerine or Band-Aid, uh, or uh, talcum powder. These are all very different lines of business than the really high-risk, high-reward drug development or medical device part of the business. And so I, I think it's this move by these pharma companies to really uh, focus more than has historically been the case on uh, with this recognition that these are two different lines of business. So you're taking away some of the risk uh, and the R&D development that would be in those other lines, taking that off of the bottom line of all these consumer products. And, and in the case of J&J here, we're talking about some, as you kind of laid out, some very well-known brands that are consumer-friendly and have been for a long period of time. Yeah, I think one way to really look at this is it, within J&J, their drug business between the year 2000 and 2020 grew about five times. Their medical device business over that same time period grew about three times. Their consumer health business doubled over that time period. And I think there's this recognition that the company really has a different um, kind of task among these different groups. And having them all under the same uh, umbrella really may not recognize the different tasks that you have to do in order to succeed uh, because certainly in the high-risk drug development business, that's very different than the more consumer-oriented brands that they have. Uh, And so this is a recognition together with all the other big pharma companies out there that really this is the wave of the future. How much then is kind of the innovative mindset different using that example of J&J, between the consumer health and the medical device and, uh, you know, the other segments within uh, J&J, 
is it I, I would imagine there are elements that are similar but you know the process is probably a little bit different in all in all of those different groups yeah consider so g and j they're um on in the pharmaceutical or drug business they have a drug uh their best selling drug uh treats crohn's disease and that made up about last year about 9 billion dollars of sales that's about a tenth of the firm's drug business and um that is going off patent uh the primary uh patent the composition of matter patent is is expiring in 2023 and that they need to fill that hole and it is far from certain how they do that by contrast these other brands of Listerine or Band-Aid, those are certainly, you know, brand development, marketing, sales, you know, incremental improvements, et cetera. It's just qualitatively a very, very different set of tasks and businesses, different personnel, different incentives to really do well in these different lines of business. And so, uh, you know, I think in our, under our earlier era, there was this logic, let's kind of diversify, let's really, you know, if our drug business isn't doing well, we can always count on our consumer health business. But my perception is that shareholders are really demanding different things uh, in today's day and age. And so it's not just the, the pharma business. You have a lot more emphasis these days on focus. And so just to give one uh, unrelated example here the company intel bought this autonomous uh, driving company mobileye uh, in a merger and subsequently spun that out into its own ipo and so i think that we're living in an era in which managers and shareholders are really demanding companies to really be much more focused in what they do and really questioning this logic of, hey, why does it all belong under one management umbrella or corporate umbrella mm-hmm. um, when we could really have diff- when we have really different tasks at hand and different needs to focus uh, attention, managerial attention on different tasks? We're joined by David Chu of the Wharton School. But from what I understand, we, we uh, the new company Kenview online now that J and J will still have a majority ownership of the company moving forward. So it's not like they have totally separated, uh, you know, everything from uh, you know J and J. There is still a level of control that uh, Johnson and Johnson will have over operations moving forward. Yeah, I understand some ninety plus percent of Kenview will be held by J and J and will be distributed later to shareholders of J&J. But I think the move here is to give very high-powered incentives um, for the new, for Kenview, the health, this consumer health uh, company, to really emerge and innovate on its own, right? If it's all stuck within the confines of the parent company, you may not have the same level of investment and innovation. And so the sense is, hey, if there's a, this, if Kenview goes public, as it has, and we give a stake in the key individuals, departments, et cetera, to really innovate and move the needle. And so, yes, those, those great consumer brands are time and again delivering the goods, 
for uh, the top line, but we want to grow that. And so to give really that those high-powered incentives to the managers and others within the new Kenview organization to innovate and create new brands, really uh, drive future uh, revenues. I think that's part of the package here in terms of the positioning of this of this uh, spinoff or deep uh, spinoff type of move. What is what does this IPO mean then potentially for the IPO market? Do you think moving forward? Which I mentioned uh, we hadn't seen something like this in in more than a year since Rivian uh, back in late 2021. Uh, I guess part of the question is whether or not we're starting to get back to some of the uh, rather robust IPOs we have seen in recent years, or is this maybe a little bit of a one-off and, and uh, each of these uh, instances will kind of run on their own as, as we move forward? Yeah, I hesitate to make broader predictions that this is going to revitalize the IPO market. We did have um, a big spike up uh, a couple of years ago with uh, these SPAC um, yeah. IPOs that have been subsequently disappointing. You know, we are living in an era in which we're still living through economic uncertainty, and uh, that feeds through not only from the public markets to the private markets. And so I would really hesitate to say, hey, this is going to really jumpstart everything because there's still quite a bit of uncertainty. The, the market, of course, doesn't values something that's stable and that's what they're getting in this consumer health yeah. IPO that you know there's no surprise in terms of the stability of these brands their yeah. um, kind of durability etc and so in terms of extrapolating to fledgling uh, startups that are just going on to the public market that may have more uncertainty as to you know, cash flows, et cetera, that in my mind, we're not quite there yet, especially with, you know, uh, ambiguities around the interest rate environment, inflation, that sort of thing. Right. And and so a final question for you, because that becomes, I guess, the interesting component of having a, a company like Kenview now with all of these strong, well-known brands, but still having that level of innovation to want to bring potentially new products on board you know, tweak the ones that you have to, to, you know, kind of expand the horizons of some of these well-known brands in the years ahead. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. And so it works on both sides on the J and J part that is kept, that is the drug business and the medical device business. Really that is now becoming less ambiguous. Like where where are managers focused on? And because now it's the consumer health division, they have their own set of challenges that are qualitatively different than what you need in terms of the whole drug approvals process, uh, et cetera, because the, the kind of the customers are different, if you will, yeah. in, and the kind of participants that really have to make it happen are quite yep. different here. And then on the other side of the ledger, on the consumer health business, and this is, again, being widely perceived, GSK, uh, Merck, all these other, Sanofi, all these other companies that have really spun out, demergered, or really carved out those consumer health businesses all recognize that those are the more stable parts of the business that have their own challenges, and they want to give 
the right incentives to innovate, which and innovation in those settings mean really different things than what it what innovation means in the medical device and drug business. And so let's just go ahead and separate these things yeah. and really focus in on what is really necessary in these two different lines of business. David, great to talk to you again. Thanks very much. Likewise. Thank you. David Chu, who is a management professor here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.